Are mammals a fad? I think probably they aren't because they've been around for a long time now. If you think mammal, those middle-aged men in Lycra with a decent income and purchasing power are ultra competitive and having some midlife crisis, you're right. If you think mammals are also those guys that just love to ride their bikes, you're right. Peel away the competition and fancy bikes and even the Lycra and you're left with the cloudy truth about the middle-aged man's relationship with cycling. It's complex. This is Semi-Pro Cycling. I'm Damien Roos. Today on the show, the murky world of mammal motivation. Like I said in the intro, it's complex, but why should you even care? Well, I'm here to defend the mammal because even cyclists give them a hard time. And no, it's not because I'm approaching middle age myself, which I am, but because it's easy for all mammals to be branded as simply being in midlife crisis mode or reliving their youth or proving that they can still compete against other men. Instead, their motivations are much more varied, with the desire for good mental as well as physical health at the top of their personal reasons. They also do more good for cyclists as a whole than they get credit for. A note here, the clip at the beginning of the show comes from a new Australian film simply titled Mammal. It shows how mammals get into cycling and why they would embrace the label. I will be using the occasional clip from the film and I'll be doing a review at the end of the feature. The rise of the mammal over the last 10 years has been due, in part, to the success of cycling in Western countries such as Great Britain, where a huge surge of new memberships in the late 2000s came from men in their 30s and 40s. Now, don't get me wrong here. Of course, there's going to be ex-racers or even masters racers riding in this group, but their motivation may still be linked to being A-type personalities, trying to squeeze the most out of themselves before they're too old to race with the young guys. The rider I'm talking about is the same one you immediately think about when you imagine a mammal. An older, overweight guy wearing body-hugging cycling kit like an overstuffed sausage ready to burst out of its casing. It's not the image we conjure up when we're thinking about the intended user of such bike wear. In other words, mammals are thought of as pathetic creatures. But do they even care what they look like? I may look a little bit chubby in lycra. I don't care. I'm out actually doing something about my body, my mind, and my health. That's Mark Hadlow, a New Zealand actor, addressing his weight and how he couldn't care less about what he looks like because he's working on his body, his mind, his health. And this is important to address early on because one thing is clear. All of the benefits of cycling mammals' sight have nothing to do with how they look. There's an importance in separating the look from the benefit. Even a professional cyclist will get funny looks when they walk into the cafe in their cycling kit. Or what did I hear the other day? That men's cycling team posing together tend to look like a row of international clocks above a hotel reception desk. Yes, I said clocks. The point here is that regardless of the look, when the benefit is so rewarding, it's easy to see past the awkward elements of the sport, like walking in ski boots or transporting a kayak. It's when you're in motion that matters. The whizzing through the countryside, feeling like you're flying. It sounds good, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but just thinking about speeding down a country lane relaxes me, puts me in a happy place. And according to a recently published study entitled 
the world is best experienced at 18 miles per hour. This type of green exercise has significantly greater psychological well-being benefits than the non-green exercise equivalent. Green exercise, by the way, refers to physical activity conducted whilst out in a natural environment. In our world, this is green cycling, the simple act of cycling outside in the countryside for extended periods of time. This study tried to understand the lived experience of a group of serious recreational road cyclists by interviewing 11 men aged between mid-30s and early 50s who routinely rode in the countryside. Three aspects as to why these mammals ride were uncovered but they aren't the common motivations like the midlife crisis motive that might first spring to mind. I'm, I mean, I'm a researcher mainly and am particularly interested in this idea of green exercise whereby you are exposed to nature while also exercising and doing that simultaneously uh, seems to have additive benefits on top of just doing the exercise. This is Oliver Glacken, father, cyclist, Londoner, and training sports psychologist at the University of East London. Oliver, along with James Beale of the School of Health, Sport and Bioscience, wrote this paper as a continuation of other green exercise research. There's some particularly good research that's been done um, in the last decade or so at the University of Essex, and we're sort of building on that with our research. And that, that basically shows quite categorically that when you're doing green exercise, uh, that it's simply better for you, you know, whether it's increasing your self-esteem, mood or alleviation of stress and depression, well-being in particular. Well-being, the state of being comfortable, healthy or happy. Finding well-being in the context of Oliver's paper can come from the simple pleasure of riding outside, though it's still a bit of a mystery why it helps so much. I mean, it's also worth saying that, uh, and I, it's picking up a point I made earlier, that the, the concept of green exercise and how beneficial it can be is well established. And, but what, what, what's lacking and what, where the gap is, is understanding uh, better why it helps people. We know it does help people and we know it, it helps people uh, in a way that just exercising indoors or, or um, in built environments, you know, to a lesser extent does, this does it more. It adds, adds, adds much more to it. One of the recorded benefits of writing outdoors includes what the authors call mastery and uncomplicated joys. Green cycling gave the cyclists a range of challenges to complete from climbing steep hills to covering long distances. This offered a double reward in the form of a feeling of achievement and with this, a growing feeling of confidence that encouraged them to explore nature further. It's also no surprise that the men from the study said that their cycling gave them a particular opportunity to feel pleasure. This joy appeared to come especially from the thrill of riding a bike at speed on country lanes, especially down steep hills where a sense of risk was amplified. Doing so was invigorating and seemed to gratify an inherent human need for excitement. This point is a funny one. I was watching the mammal film and on comes one of the riders that they profile and he's on this group ride that he organizes and he says, No, it's okay. I'm here for the fellowship, not the speed. And then in the next scene, the film follows him on a solo ride and he says, I also like solo rides where I'm just alone with my thoughts and my prayers. I really enjoy that quiet time. It helps ground me. I love the speed. Not gonna lie, wish I was faster, but everybody does. 
it's not a contradiction. He's just shifting motivations for different types of rides. I just thought it was funny how here I am thinking this guy is doing such a noble cause, riding with slower riders and encouraging them. But when he's out on his own, he's like going all out, bombing down hills. To understand why solo speed sessions and group rides are important to mammals, let's take a deeper look, starting with group rides. And they're a biggie. They have the greatest potential to impact a rider's overall well-being, and this was evident all over the place when I was doing my research for this show, such as the group of mammals that called themselves the Adelaide Fat Boys that were profiled in the mammal film. It's middle-aged men trying to keep themselves in some sort of shape, but also there's a lot of support, not just having good fun, but we all go through interesting times in our lives and that's an important part of that support network that you get from a bunch of guys that look after each other. Group rides act as support in the form of informal therapy sessions. And I get it. When I was younger and I was riding in groups, my conversations were different, partly because I was a 16-year-old boy, but also because my social networks were large and varied. But as time goes on and my access to other people, new people, and even just time outside of my routine becomes harder and harder. Then when I started riding with a group at the start of this year, and that group became my main social outlet, And by default, it became my support network. And the physical nature helps accelerate your bond with other cyclists. And the chemicals from moving your body also helps opening up and sharing more about yourself. And you've always got common ground to start conversations with. It's the perfect setting for a physical and mental release. And therefore, I would definitely define it as therapy, as do a lot of other riders, like these guys from a recent episode of Cycling Maven. I used to be a cop. And a few mates were all cops, pretty stressful job at time. And so it was a good, just a good mental health, physical health thing. Yeah. Um, and then that sort of grew, like a lot of blokes moving to middle age, started to whack on a few kilos, like you were saying. Yeah. Um, and, and start to realise, man, we need to do something physical, some sort of exercise, but also something really good for our mental health. Yeah. So it's really turned into like a bit of a men's health group, if nothing yeah. else, because we get to catch up with our mates. Instead of sitting at the pub drinking beers, we yeah. get out, get in the fresh air, Get some exercise, yeah. talk some smack. Yeah, and, that, and we don't see each other a lot during the week, so you, you don't know what everyone's going through during yeah. the week. So That's really a really good, good point, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. It's like the men's health shed on wheels, we reckon, isn't it? God, it got hey? me through a, a bad marriage breakup a year. Did it? Seven years ago now. Yeah. If it wasn't for riding on a sad day, jeez, I tell you, I don't know. Yeah. Because you just work all week and you just consume yourself with all the bad vibes and you come out and the guys and you go home thinking that pretty good all is good, yeah, with, the, all is good right. with the universe yeah. again after yeah. a ride to the fish shop isn't it cycling the new golf <laughs> cycling is the new pub imagine this though you're sitting in a pub with a group of mates and you're not talking do you think you'd get any well-being benefit from this i know it sounds a bit ludicrous in this context but transfer this idea to when you're riding your bike on a group ride and not necessarily talking but just being in the presence of other riders. This was a surprising outcome of Oliver's paper and something that they call alone but connected. The idea that while the men may ride in groups, they were not under pressure to engage with the other cyclists. This is important because for them, the benefits derived from green cycling were most potent when they were done alone. But that didn't mean that there was no space for camaraderie or bonhomie. We didn't have space to talk about the the kind of camaraderie you get on the road. And... um... But, you know, things that came up were how, you know, when you're in the company of others, there's no real, and you're riding for miles, you can be in their company, but you don't necessarily have to talk. You know, it's okay not to talk. And when you do talk, there's no pressuring eye contact. Uh, The participants spoke out, which 
spoke about, which kind of encourages chatting openly. And then with the way, if you're with people in a bunch, you can just sort of break a conversation quite naturally. It's okay. You can, you know, take your turn up the front or draft at the back or whatever. Um, I mean, sandbagging probably starts a conversation, I guess. If the men weren't talking, they were instead taking to online social networks to interact with other cyclists in a relaxed environment. And when I talk about online social networks, of course, I'm referring to Strava. Something Oliver had thought about in his own writing, but not in the context of the less competitive mammal. And surprisingly, or not, Strava is not used by mammals in this study to chase KOMs. Uh-huh. So Strava, um, yeah, I knew this would come up. Now, I think, I well, I, I know I got into writing seriously before the Strava phenomenon uh, hit us, I suppose. And Strava always seemed to me like a synonym for competition. At some point, I decided that, and, and I've, I'm, I've kind of said, I've covered this before, but I see I, I could satisfy my hunger for competition by racing, mostly slowly, unfortunately. And consequently, I was never really tempted by it uh, because I, I follow quite a strict schedule of training. And I thought Strava and tracing segments might subvert that. Um, I, I don't know if that's right or wrong, but that was just my approach. But coming back to the research, what I'd failed to appreciate entirely, and this is what a lot of the guys spoke about, was how rather than comparing numbers and doing that kind of stuff, you could use it to ex- to exchange experiences. And um, I thought that was that was really fantastic. So the all the participants went away from segment chasing to using it to learn new routes and to share information about. Um, you know, different approaches to a particular pass or mountain or whatever, um, or routes around a particular area to take in different scenes and stuff. And then sharing photographs of their experience. There's one guy in particular in the in the research who he got into this thing with his mate about sending photographs of different look different um, post boxes different ones that they'd seen and then and then with these blokes also like kudos and connecting with people that they wouldn't necessarily have connections with so I suppose there's, there's two ways saying I, I never really and I kind of my experience predated Strava um, and then in, as I saw it get people getting into it I say I, I thought it would it would distract me from my training and in terms of the competitive side I like the tangible side of going out on a Sunday early in the morning to a clubhouse and then spending three hours uh, riding around the British countryside racing, trying to win. And I hadn't appreciated the other aspects of it, which which my participants made me aware of, which was just fantastic. Using Strava as a social network instead of a reason to be a Strava asshole, the cyclist who, while attempting a quick Strava segment, yells out Strava and expects you to get out of the way. It enables riders to stay connected even if they are riding alone, which is a good thing because another benefit cited for riding in Oliver's paper is riding solo, which they frame as my place to escape and rejuvenate. What I love about cycling is the freedom it gives you. You're on your own, you're on the road, you can go anywhere you want for as long as you like. Time to think, time to contemplate stuff, figure things out in your head. There's really no feeling like it. 
this has been my motivation for the majority of my cycling life, where the physical activity of green cycling combined with the change in scenery to an immersive, more natural environment instantly feels like a restorative process. Green cycling represents an opportunity for me to get away from the concerns and worries of my life back home. The men in the study cited being surrounded by nature and being granted the peace of an empty country lane took on a therapeutic quality for them. Combined with the physical action of riding, this encouraged the men to become more aware of their experience and their mental state, resulting in a feeling of calm similar to the effects of mindfulness, the Buddhist tradition used to develop good mental health. For me, throw in a podcast or some music and I'm a free, happy man. It's not just solo riding or riding just for the hell of it either. There's a camaraderie, a push for a common goal to help each other and to help the wider community. Take Franco and Craig from Team Mammal. Our story is a story of two mates, me and my best friend Franco. He's the man. He's the man. No, he's he's the the man. man. We the man. He's the man. (laughs) We've known each other since the age of 14. And over a period of, you know, 15 years, we, we both ended up over in Western Australia. Every year, Franco would have a, a, a Boxing Day party at his house. And one particular year, five years ago, Franco was quite withdrawn and not really celebrating. And we couldn't quite figure out, like, what's, what's going on here? He's not very bubbly. And the scenario was that he'd discovered only a week before that he had throat cancer. Feeling dejected, Craig was watching telly one day and he saw a ride advertised called Ride to Conquer Cancer. He immediately signed up and raised $2,500 for his mate, but he rode it on his own. He did meet Franco at the finish line, who was still not well and really unsure of his future. But Franco disappeared for a moment and went out and actually signed himself up and Craig for the next year. Franco was able to get over cancer and this group that they put together that started with just Craig and then the two of them grew and grew and grew and it's now called Team Mammal and every year for the last five years they have raised over $200,000 in total for the Ride to Conquer Cancer. It's a really, really cool story. Okay, so we've been through a bunch of motivations and all of the above makes sense, but what about competition? I said at the start, it's complex and there's an ex-racer such as Oliver. And then there's a rider that takes up racing again when they're a mammal, like Andy, a 42 year old father of two embracing the fundamental nature of racing. Cycling's a bit like a caveman must've felt when he was like hunting deer. finish line is like the quarry at the end of it and you haven't eaten for three weeks and you're starving and if you don't get across that line first then you know it's not just you that's going to starve it's your whole family so there's a lot on this come on, come on. you're racing to catch up with this deer that's running away from you how do you replace that how do you replace that feeling of the chase You know, I want to prove that someone in their early 40s, you know, can realistically compete at the highest level again. This to me has limited shelf life, just like the ability to compete in the open category itself, I suppose. Sure, it has its place, but longevity lies beyond competition. Oliver walked away or rode away from competitive cycling because of his family, but he still saw unique benefits to himself 
through his cycling and his own personal experience. I, I had a family myself and I found that the amount of training I could do was inversely proportional to the, uh, the size of my family, so the race kind of went. But there was quite a challenging period in my, in my own life related specifically to work and I found that riding my bike and doing, so doing the training on my bike in incredible scenery was really cathartic and quite restorative and that it was just a massive dose of wellness, quite frankly. And uh, that kind of got me curious. And effectively, that curiosity means that I'm talking to you about well, what, what, what was going on in, during that experience and why was it so good and why did it make me feel better and why did it, it help me in my day-to-day life. This recipe of riding outdoors in nature without doing any competitive things and just going out and riding, there's longevity in that. There's no burnout. There's no threat of just going too hard and wanting to rack it. It's just keeping it going at the same pace for a long time. There's definitely benefits to this style of riding and benefits to all cyclists as a whole. I'm going to wrap up here by saying that, of course, it's easy to notice that mammals look different to other cyclists. And yeah, it's good for a quick laugh. It's also easy to criticize them for having all the gear and no idea. But what mammals do is help us look beyond competition and shiny objects and look for deeper and more personal reasons for why we ride. A study can give us clues that we might all ride for mastery, uncomplicated joys, rejuvenation, and to be alone but connected. And my experience might suggest that it's camaraderie and giving support to other riders when they most need it. Whatever though, the exact reasons you ride may be murky and hard to articulate, but that's not the point. My point is this. Regardless of their own personal motivations and regardless of their look, mammals are lifting the image of cyclists as human beings, as something more than Mr. Speedy on the hill ride. They're using their age and experience to impact riders on an individual level and on a broader level by giving to the community and in the process changing the way cyclists are perceived by the community at large. And that's why I'll defend the mammal, even though I still agree that they are a strange creature. It's time for The Radar, the segment of the show where I talk about something that has popped into my radar, whether it's a product, a study, or a performance tip. I mentioned this already, but this show's radar is going to review the new Australian film titled Mammal. And you've had a bit of a taste from this episode, but the film goes deeper, much deeper and wider. And I wouldn't say this is just a film for cyclists, as it's kind of digging into a social phenomenon that is probably more interesting to someone that lives outside of our quirky world. Saying that though, we've all come across mammals. And I guess if you're interested in trying to understand why other people ride, this film is for you. It's certainly a new perspective because normally it's the professionals that are getting all the limelight. But here we're introduced to men that are cycling diehards and they give us a glimpse at the variety of reasons they ride. It examines many male issues in context of the sport and it shows why people may come together to proudly embrace the label. There are different men from all over, from the UK, from the US, Australia, and all of the men ended up cycling through a unique or difficult set of circumstances. The documentary is loaded with stories that show how the mammal is so much more than a stereotype in tight cycling clothing. It also offers a peek into a world that we only briefly see as it rolls by at a moderately safe speed. 
If you're a mammal, most of the film will speak to you, but also if you're mammal curious, you'll learn a lot about these cuddly creatures. Head over to au.demand.film slash mammal to find a screening near you. If you're new to semi-pro cycling, check out the back catalogue of shows on all aspects of performance at semiprocycling.com or sign up for the weekly workout stack, the guide that shows you how to structure your training week and use your training time more effectively. And I'll also send you the best of our episodes straight to your inbox. All right, well, I'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening.